The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org. Today's scripture reading comes from Daniel 6, 6-10. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that As a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in in its upstairs room opened towards Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This is the word of the Lord. Speedy God. You can be seated. Well, God truly has a sense of humor. Today, this is not a competition, but today probably your least prayerful pastor uh, has been assigned by the Lord a text on prayer. Uh, but we're here together, and so we might as well just get through it together. And we're going to talk about prayer from Daniel chapter 6. There's always a danger in pray, uh, preaching on prayer Because so many of us feel bad at prayer, and nobody wants to hear about something they know they're bad at. But we're going to talk about prayer today, and if that's you, let me say right up front, from one delinquent to another, my hope is really to encourage you, not discourage you. To encourage you into prayer, not discourage you and shame you into prayer. And I promise when I say that word encourage, I don't mean, you know, in the Christian sense, like low-key rebuke you. I mean, genuinely, I hope to encourage you. Some of you have all uh, but given up on prayer. You're doubting, maybe, your faith, you're hurting. Maybe you've seen some of the scandals in churches and you think, is this God stuff really real? Can I really pray and expect anyone to hear that? And I think what we'll look at together in Daniel chapter 6 this morning will help you. I think it will remind you of the goodness of God apart from the sinfulness of people. And then there are some here this morning who are too busy to pray. You have too much to get done. Who has time to stop and pray? Maybe you find time in the car or in a stressful situation, but it's not part of your routine like eating is. Meanwhile, maybe your anxiety levels through the roof. You can't seem to help keep healthy boundaries on your work, even if that work is with your children, and you're just feeling squeezed all the time. If that's you, I think Daniel 6 will help you as well. Daniel chapter 6 is a lot like Daniel chapter 3. If you remember to a few weeks ago, if you were here when Tyler preached on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in Daniel chapter 3, the Israelites are commanded to do something God forbids. They're commanded to worship an idol. And here in Daniel chapter 6, the Israelites, Daniel is forbidden to do something God commands. He's forbidden to pray. And I think it's helpful for us to remember that God commands us to pray. The prophet Samuel knew that it would be a sin for him to ever stop praying for Israel. The apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 
pray without ceasing. In another place he says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. We are commanded to pray. And it's in Daniel's habit of prayer and God's subsequent action to save him where the clash of kingdoms takes place in this chapter. What we'll see in this chapter is that the vindication of the prayerful over the proud shows God's power and leads to God's praise. The vindication of the prayerful over the proud shows God's power and leads to God's praise. And in that, we're going to be called to faithful prayer. So we'll walk through this story and we'll see four things. We'll see the proud, the prayerful, God's power, and God's praise. And then we'll talk about what to do with all of that. So first, the proud. The proud in this chapter are rightly insecure. They're rightly insecure. Over the past two weeks in Daniel, we've seen that power and pride are like peas in a pod. Like love and marriage, they go together like a horse and carriage. Pride and power follow one another. In the opening verses of Daniel 6, we see pride on display in Daniel's colleagues. And their pride shows up as envy. Their envy is no doubt rooted in an unspoken, unacknowledged internal insecurity, as envy is. Listen for that insecurity as I read, starting in verse 1. King Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be held accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. So there, look at the job description of the satraps, and there you see the first glimmer of insecurity. Their job description is to protect the interests of the king, the king, the financial interests of the king. The king doesn't elevate the satraps in order to make sure that money gets to the poor. That would be the way of the kingdom of God. But this is a kingdom of men, and this new Persian boss is the same as the old Persian boss. He uses his wealth and power to protect his wealth and power. And so we have to think, too, just to stop there and and ask the question, how do we use our money and our authority, whatever the Lord has given us? Do we use our money and authority? Do you use your money and authority according to the principles of God and caring for the least of these? Or do you use your money and authority according to the principles of the world to protect yourself? Let's keep reading. Verse 3 Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit so that the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Daniel's like a sleeper agent in the the kingdom of Persia. He is there at the top, and he's God's man there at the top. But he's not there to take down the kingdom of Persia. He is there for its blessing, and therefore Darius is good. We should remember then that right there at the top of the greatest kingdom of the world at the time, at the top of a kingdom that had Israel captive, God had his person. He had somebody there. God can always get his people into the positions where he wants them. God is not handcuffed by human power structures. And notice the phrase, excellent spirit. At this point, Daniel is in his 70s or 80s, but he had this energy, this character, this wisdom that made him stand out, 
even among the pagans. And there's encouragement here for those of us who are growing older, which is every one of us. There's encouragement here that through faith in Christ, we can grow old in a distinguished way. We don't have to get old and cranky. We can grow old and saintly. How are you aging? I'm not talking about the wrinkles. Your character, how are you growing? So anyway, there's Daniel about to be set over the whole kingdom when, verse 4, the administrators and satraps therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. They were envious and insecure. Being third in line to the king was not enough for them. They wanted Daniel out because they knew he was better than them. They knew he was getting the promotion, and they wanted the top job. But, verse 4 goes on, they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Being faithful to God made him a good employee. Verse 5, then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. We can't pin anything on him unless it's something to do with his obedience to God. Don't you wish, brother or sister in Christ, that you had that kind of character, that the only dirt anybody could find on you is that you would obey Jesus no matter what? And that's who Daniel was in the kingdom of Persia. The envious and insecure rulers come up with a plan. Look with me starting in verse 6. They go to the king and they say, May King Darius live forever. That was the customary greeting to the king. And all the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, all have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. Now look where their pride had taken them. It made them insecure, and they were envious, and then they were deceitful. Surely not all of the administrators and satraps had agreed to this. At least one important administrator was not in the room when they agreed to this plan, that was Daniel. And they were idolatrous. They commanded people to pray to Darius. And then, of course, they became murderous. They wanted to see a man dead. Though they probably wouldn't admit it, the proud in this chapter were insecure, and it led them into all of these other sins. And as we'll see as we go on in this chapter, they were rightly insecure. It's not going to end well for them. What do we learn from that? Well, it's vain and foolish to try to find your security through your own strength or actions, through your own clever planning or conniving. If you and I are in charge of making ourselves feel secure, if we try to do that by earning enough money or by being a good enough person or by uh, numbing the hurts through escapism, if we try to do uh, to find security through our own strength, we'll never find security. We'll always be worried. That way is hell to try to establish our own security and our own strength. It's hell in this life and the next. The proud are rightly insecure. Pride is its own self-reinforcing judgment, which God will also judge. But on the other hand, the prayerful are totally secure. The prayerful are totally secure. I say that, and there's an important clarification. 
it's not being prayerful that makes you secure. It is who you pray to. It's God, the living God, who guarantees his people's eternal security. That is what makes us secure. So it's not just prayer, it's who you pray to. And you can taste that security, which is better than any fried food the fair can offer, in the same way that Daniel tasted it, by faithful, intentional prayer. Verse 10 says, When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. This is big. I mean, it's really small, right? I mean, it's just a 70-year-old man, 80-year-old man, on his knees, in his room, like he's done for decades. It's almost nothing. But it's massive. It's the kingdom of heaven coming to bear on the kingdom of of Persia in this seemingly minuscule and some would say meaningless act of faithful prayer. I want to point out to you three choices Daniel made in this simple decision to keep doing what he'd always done. Number one, Daniel chose to fear God, not men or even lions. He could have decided to just not open the windows for a month. He knew that the punishment was death. He could have kept the windows closed. Or he could have said, you know, it's only a month. Under the circumstances, God will understand if I don't pray for a month. God needs me here at the top of the kingdom. He needs me to to carry out his will. He needs me to stay alive. So I'll just kind of not do anything for a month. But Daniel didn't do that. Daniel chose to fear God, not men, not even lions. In the clash between the kingdoms of men and the kingdom of God, the battle is fought and the victory is won in simple prayer. Somebody once said that the work of ministry is prayer. So what keeps you from praying over lunch, even silently, when you're having lunch with maybe coworkers or unbelievers? In that moment, whose faith has sway at the table? Will you have some kind of midday and evening prayer today Do you have an established habit of prayer to our Father? Have you prayed yet on your own this morning? Are we too busy to pray three times a day? Ask yourself, why? Who am I trying to please with all that activity? Are we fearing God with all that activity that's keeping us from prayer? Knowing the edict, Daniel chose to fear God, not people, not even lions. Here's the second choice Daniel made. Number two, Daniel chose to keep a habit, not follow feelings. The text says, three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to God, just as he had done before. I can't imagine how Daniel must have been feeling that day, Uh, but it's interesting the text doesn't tell us what he was feeling that day. Feelings aren't bad, but behind the wheel, feelings are a little like a drunk 96-year-old with Cadillacs who's too short to see over the steering wheel. Feelings are not bad, but they're bad drivers. And the feelings are not driving Daniel here. His decades-old habit is. Somebody said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Are you praying? It doesn't seem like it was much of a question for Daniel. 
what he was going to do when he heard the edict. I'm sure that the thought must have crossed his mind, I could just not pray today. But the habit led him to do what was the most simple and the most courageous thing in the world, which was just get on his knees and pray again. So he kept his habit. He didn't follow his feelings. And then notice the third choice Daniel made in prayer, number three. Daniel chose to orient himself toward Jerusalem, not toward Babylon. Have you ever forgotten where you are, even just for a minute? You ever woken up in a hotel room and thought, how did I get here? It's easy to become disoriented, and it seems increasingly easy to become disoriented in this world where we have access to all media in our pockets all the time. It's easy to forget which kingdom we live in and what kingdom we're hoping in. But prayer to Jesus orients us. Let's talk about that Jerusalem part. Why is that recorded for us that he prays and the windows are open toward Jerusalem? In 1 Kings 8, long before Daniel's time, King Solomon prayed at the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. And what's the temple? It's the place where God's presence dwells in the midst of his people. And King Solomon prayed this, When your people sin against you, God, and their captors deport them to the enemy's country, and when they pray to you in the direction of their land that you gave their ancestors, the city you have chosen, which is Jerusalem, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place, may you forgive your people who sinned against you, and may you grant them compassion before their captors so that they may treat them compassionately. So what is Daniel doing praying toward Jerusalem? He's remembering and trusting that God heard Solomon's prayer and that God would hear his prayer. He's reorienting himself three times a day toward the promised land of God's presence. What's he doing praying toward Jerusalem, the city of God's dwelling? He is trusting in God's power and mercy that God will one day again bring his people back into the land. Why is he praying toward Jerusalem? Because his problems in Persia were not the center of the world. God is. Do you believe that for you? Toward what should we pray? We should pray toward Jesus, who is the true temple, the place of God's presence. And we should pray toward the new Jerusalem, which is that future dwelling place of God where God will come and dwell with his people when Christ returns. What would it do to your heart, your mind, your actions Monday through Saturday if you had a prayer habit like this? Maybe you already do. How might you react to your boss or your coworkers, your kids, your spouse differently? How would you work differently if three times a day you were orienting yourself towards Jesus and the coming new Jerusalem? How would what you love change over the course of a year, five years, decades, of reorienting yourself to the new Jerusalem three times a day? How would what you're looking for to find peace be altered if Daniel's habit was your prayer habit? And then what would you have to change to make that happen starting tomorrow? Maybe it's just two minutes three times a day. That's six minutes a day. I did the math for you. Six minutes a day just praying the Lord's Prayer. What if you did that? Is there any reason you can't start today? Maybe you'll want to kneel to remember that you're a creature and God is creator. 
Maybe you'll want to physically face east towards Jerusalem. It's not a law. You don't have to do that. Maybe you'll want to do that just to remind yourself physically that we're waiting for Jesus to return bodily there and we'll be raised with him physically then. Somebody here might be thinking, well, why be so rigid about it? Why three times a day? Shouldn't we just always be praying? Yes, sure, we should always be praying, but in every other sphere of life, those who can improvise the best are those who are most disciplined to practice. I assume that you don't become Tom Brady by just showing up and throwing a football and hoping you can make the pass. You don't just become Eddie Van Halen by picking up a guitar and seeing how it goes. You get good at these things through disciplined practice, habitual faithfulness. And in the same way to become strong at spontaneous prayer, you need a habit of prayer. So we've seen that the proud are rightly insecure and that the prayerful are totally secure in God. Daniel was at peace. He kept doing what he had always done. And now with the rest of this chapter, we're going to see all of the rest play out through God's power to God's praise. First, we'll see that All in this chapter will see God's power. All will see God's power. Before this episode in Daniel's life is over, everyone will see God's power. The satraps think they have power. They think, ah, we got you. We finally trapped him. Now we'll be secure. Daniel is powerless in this. He's carried along by everyone else, and yet he's at peace. He's under the sovereign hand of God, and he knows it. Darius is also surprisingly powerless. He's the king of the greatest empire on earth, but he's powerless to do anything in this chapter. Look at verse 14. As soon as the king heard that Daniel's caught, he's very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him, but he couldn't change the law. So then verse 16, they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you continually serve rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. The greatest king in the world at the time was powerless to help his friend. And like we've seen before in Daniel, the greatest king in the world was powerless to even get a good night's sleep. But friends, as the psalm says, God gives his beloved sleep. What a gift, amen? God gives his beloved sleep. Daniel slept just fine. It wasn't the Umstead, but he slept fine. He didn't get eaten by lions. At the first light of dawn, it says in verse 19, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? And can you just imagine the pit in Darius' stomach as he's saying these words, worrying that the response is going to be silence? By the way, where else in the Bible have we seen somebody lowered into a tomb and the entrance sealed and people running to check in on him first thing in the morning? Does that remind you of anything? We'll come back to that. In verse 21, Daniel speaks from that pit of condemnation and death. He speaks. And he says, may the king live forever. 
My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me, for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. Darius was overjoyed, and Daniel was brought out completely unharmed. Not a bone was broken, for he had trusted in his God. And everyone saw God's power over the lions. Daniel and Darius and the satraps saw God's power. Verse 24, the king gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den, they, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now the point there is that their line, the line of these evil, wicked, deceitful, malicious, murderous men, was ended in God's justice. There would never again from those families be murderousness, envy, lying in the world. They were done. The God of Israel is powerful over the powerful. He is judge of all the living. And he has given judgment to his son Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. The lions in the den were on God's side. They were ruled by the Lion of Judah, the Messiah of Israel, Jesus. He protects his people now, and he protected Daniel then. And he will one day return to judge every kingdom of Babylon that stands against God in this world. Everyone in Daniel chapter 6 saw God's power in Daniel's deliverance, and everyone on earth and in heaven and under the earth will see God's power when God delivers his people when Christ comes again. All will see God's power. And we know that because of the eyewitness testimony, because people saw God's power one day centuries after Daniel when another body was placed in a tomb and sealed up. And three days before that day, another innocent man was crucified, this time literally, because of the envy of those beneath him. Matthew 27, verse 18 says, Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the Pharisees had delivered him up to die. Like the satraps, the Pharisees had cooked up In their pride and arrogance and insecurity, they had cooked up a case against the man in the sealed pit and had delivered him over to die. And you know that who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus the greater Daniel. Daniel was faithful. Jesus was without sin. Daniel prayed faithfully. Jesus was in perfect communion with the Father. Daniel was sentenced to death but protected by the angel of God. On the other hand, Jesus had power to call a legion of angels to protect him from death, but didn't. And when Jesus' body was placed in the sealed tomb, it wasn't in hopes of killing him. It was because he was already dead. Daniel went low, but Jesus went lower. And as we sometimes sing on the third at break of dawn, what happened? Some people... The Apostle Peter and John, we think it was John anyway, came running to the tomb to see whether it was true that the body wasn't there. And Jesus' body wasn't there, and they couldn't understand. 
But the body wasn't there because Jesus had defeated death. He had risen from the dead. And no king had to give the command to get Jesus out of the place of condemnation and death because Jesus had within himself the divine power to raise himself from the dead, which he did. And he was raised in order to ascend to the right hand of God in heaven. And if he was raised and has ascended, then we know he will return again just as he said. And on that day, all will see God's power. And then all will lead to God's praise. At the end of Daniel chapter 6, King Darius writes to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth. And he says, May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. Why? For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. For he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The uh, the kings and kingdoms of this world roll on. But the church of Christ remains forever. The kingdom of God and the people of God are preserved forever. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell Even hell itself will not prevail against it. And all this with Daniel's praying and the lions leads to God's praise throughout Persia. And all of this, saints, all of this suffering and struggle that we face, all of the trials and tribulations that we endure, all of the waiting and longing and the turmoil will lead to God's praise forever and ever throughout all the new heavens and new earth. One day, Revelation 7, 9 says, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and will cry out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All will be to God's praise. And on that day, if we've turned from our sin and turned from our pride and trusted in Jesus, on that day, God will dwell with us. And we will be his people. And God himself will be with us as our God. And he'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death will be no more. And neither shall there be crying nor pain nor mourning anymore. For the former things will have passed away. And that is the new Jerusalem that we orient ourselves to every time we pray. That presence of God, that Jesus is who we orient ourselves toward every time we pray. America will not have the last word. 2022 and 2023 and our lifetimes, short as they are, will not have the last word. God's kingdom will have the last word And all will lead to God's praise from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So what do we do with all this? We persevere in prayer. We persevere in prayer. Don't lose heart in prayer, brothers and sisters. Keep on praying. Keep on waiting on God in prayer. When you can't pray, when you struggle to pray, pray with somebody. 
When you struggle to pray with somebody, just show up in a room where people are praying to Jesus and see if you can just say amen. Get into a place where people are praying and don't give up on your own prayers. There are plenty of other things we can do in service to God and to each other and plenty of other things that we should do in service to God and others, but don't neglect your prayers. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Pray intentionally. Maybe adopt Daniel's habit that so many other followers of Jesus have found helpful for millennia and stop and pray three times a day. Do it for a week and then for a month and then for years and keep going. Some of you might be thinking, I'm I'm doubting God, though. How can I pray? I'm doubting God. How can I pray? Well, who better to talk to about that than God? Pastor Don would be a close second to talk to about that. But talk to God in your prayers about your doubts. Persevere in prayer. And then this. Know that the King of Kings is praying for you. The one who died in our place, who was sealed in the tomb and got himself out. The one who died when we should have been thrown to the lions for our pride and our sin. He has risen. He has ascended. And Hebrews 7 says he lives always to intercede for his people. He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him. And his spirit also, Romans 8, intercedes for us. So here's what that means. If you stop and pray, whenever you stop and pray, if you stop and pray three times a day, every time you stop and pray, you're butting in to an ongoing prayer meeting where the Son and the Spirit have already been praying for the church and for you. Every time you stop and pray, you're walking in on a prayer meeting and you're welcome. It's not awkward. Not everybody looks up at you like, why'd you just show up? You're welcome to walk in on this prayer meeting where the Son and the Spirit are praying for you and for the church. Why wouldn't we want to get in on that for a couple minutes, three times a day? Let's take the opportunity to go now. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your kindness and mercy to us. You didn't have to choose a people for yourself. We were sinners. You didn't have to create us. You didn't have to redeem us. But you did, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son to be what we could never be, to be faithful, to be perfect for us in our place. Thank you that he has been praying for us as the Spirit has, even now, even in these last minutes. And I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people to Continue in prayer. Help us to pray, Lord, as we should. And for those who are not in you, who have not become part of your people by repenting and turning towards you in faith, Lord, I pray that you would change their hearts today. Lord, draw them into your family. It would be to your glory so that there another person, another family would give you praise now and on the last day. Lord, would you do it for your own name's sake? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.